0: You are listening to. The 542 and the Blue podcast. Discussions of law enforcement history. Issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and other areas. Hosted by Scott Lunsford, retired police detective sergeant, author and researcher. This is Victoria your producer. Scott. Your microphone is on. 1, 2, 3. Thanks Victoria for the introduction, and of course thank you Alice as well, the two keeping this production up and running. As Victoria said, today Shade of Blue for 542 in the Blue, we're going to discuss the Self-Made Widow. Our subject today is a Miss Nanny Doss, D-O-S-S at one time referred to as the Giggling Granny, the Lonely Hearts Killer, the Black Widow or a Black Widow, and the Lady Bluebeard. Now Nanny Doss was born Nancy Hazel November 4th 1905 in Blue Mountain Alabama in the United States. Now her father was a controlling father and husband according to information that Nanny actually gave later. Both Nanny and her mother hated her father James. James would force his children to work on the family farm instead of attending school. This resulted in a severe lack of education issues by Nanny and her siblings. Now while the family was taking a train to visit relatives when Nanny was seven years old, the train did a sudden emergency stop and Nanny flew forward and hit her head on a metal bar on the seat in front of her. For years she suffered severe headaches, blackouts, and depression. She blamed these later and her mental instability on this particular incident. Now there could be some truth to that but we really won't know sure or don't know for positive now growing up Nanny's favorite pastime was even though she was kept from school was reading but her topic of choice was her mother's romance magazines and dreaming of course of her own romantic future nothing unusual nothing wrong with that reading became her major educational strong suit she developed an enjoyment in reading in particular Lonely Hearts Club columns Nanny's father would not allow the females sisters to wear makeup or to dress attractively he claimed this was for their own good to keep them from being molested by men Nanny said later in life that even though this was the attention she and her sister were victimized several times they were also kept from going to dances and other social events even though this was the attitude of her father Nanny was able to get married at 16 year olds to a Charlie Braggs. Charlie worked with her at a local textile factory. She was able to get her father's approval and they married after four months of dating. Braggs was the only son of a single mother who insisted on continuing to live with them after the two of them got married. Now nanny later wrote that her father had insisted on the marriage more than likely to get her out of the home and to relieve him of one mouth to feed in an interview later nanny said quote I married as my father wished in 1921 to a boy I only knew about four or five months who had no family only a mother who was unwed and who had taken over my life completely when we were married, she'd never even seen anything wrong with what she did, but she would take spells. She would not let my own mother stay the night at our house. Now, Bragg's mother controlled the house apparently and took control of most of her son's time and attention, but apparently not all of the attention. The marriage did produce four daughters from 1923 to 1927 now dealing with the children and the overbearing mother-in-law may have caused Nanny to start uh, drinking and her casual smoking habit became a very heavy serious addiction both nanny and her husband suspected each other apparently with good cause of infidelity her husband was known to disappear for days on end at a time leaving nanny alone with the children and of course her mother-in-law. Now in 1927 their two children passed away. Charlie Braggs returned home to discover his two girls dead on the floor. It was officially attributed to food poisoning at the time. Nanny's demeanor and attitude was highly unsettling to her husband. In fact he was so terrified and upset at the time to even be in the same house with her, he took the couple's other daughter, the oldest daughter, Malvina, and buggered off. He did so leaving the newborn child, Florine, and his own mother behind. But, as luck would have it, Bragg's mother died soon after this. Nanny took another job, working in a cotton mill to support her daughter and herself. About a year later, her husband returned to the town with another woman and his daughter, a divorcee with her own child. Nanny, seeing this, filed for divorce and ended up receiving and getting custody of both girls. Bragg's always said that he left her because he was frightened and terrified of her. Now, it didn't take long before Nanny married again. Not to let a little thing like a divorce and two deceased daughters slow her down she remarried to a Robert Franklin Harrelson. They met and married in 1929. The couple moved to and lived in Jacksonville with Nanny's two daughters Malvinia and Florine. Not exactly what it bliss Manny soon discovered her new husband was an alcoholic and had a criminal record for assault. Despite this and other issues, their marriage actually lasted for 16 years. One of her daughters, Melvinia, the eldest, gave birth to a Robert Haynes in 1943. Another baby followed two years later but died soon afterward. Now, after giving birth, exhausted from the labor and groggy from apparently being administered ether, uh, melvinia thought she saw her visiting mother stick a large hat pin into the baby's head. When she asked her husband and sister for clarification, they said Nanny was the one who had told them that the baby had passed away. They had also noticed that she was holding a pin. The doctors, however, couldn't give a positive explanation for the child's death, one way or the other. It wasn't long after that the daughter and the son in law drifted apart, and Malvina started dating a soldier. Of course, Nanny disapproved of him, and while Malvina was visiting her father after a particular nasty fight with her mother, her other son, Robert, died mysteriously under Nanny's care. In 1945. The death was diagnosed as asphyxiation from an unknown cause and two months later Nanny collected $500 in life insurance that she had taken out on Robert herself. In 1945 Japan surrendered to the Allied powers at the end of World War II. Nanny's husband of 16 years Harrelson was among the Patriots celebrating the end of the war. After an evening of particularly heavy drinking, her husband sexually assaulted Nanny and beat her. The next day, Nanny went to Harrelson's corn whiskey jar he had buried in the yard. The assault apparently had been the last straw for her. Taking the corn liquor, she topped it off with rat poison later Harrison died a painful death that evening now never say die or at least something like that it wasn't long before nanny met her third husband Arlie Lanning this was through a lonely hearts column while traveling in Lexington North Carolina home with some fantastic barbecue now like her last husband she married him very quickly after just three days. Now, like Harrelson, Lanning was an alcoholic womanizer, but this time it was Nanny who often disappeared for sometimes months on end. And when home, she played the, of course, the doting, loving wife. When Lanning died of what was thought to be a simple heart failure, uh huh, and I wouldn't bet the farm on that, the townspeople there in Lexington supported her at the funeral. Unfortunately soon after the funeral the couples house which for some reason had been left to Lanning's sister not his wife it burned down. Always practical Nanny had insured it under her own name and the insurance money went to her. Tragedy always seemed to strangely follow her and it wasn't long before Lanning's mother who was living with the grieving widow passed away in her sleep. Nanny left North Carolina and soon ended up at her sister's home. Her sister Dovey was ill and bedridden. Nanny being the loving sister had arrived to help take care of her sister but unfortunately soon after Nanny's arrival the sister passed away. Now again Looking for yet another husband, Nanny joined a dating service called the Diamond Circle Club, and it wasn't long before she met Richard Morton of Jamestown, North Carolina. They married in 1952 in Emporia, Kansas. Now, he didn't have a drinking problem, but he was a ladies' man and famously known for a very adulterous lifestyle. Nanny's mother traveled to Kansas and moved in with the two the older mother looking for assistance to her daughter at a late at her older stage in life but old habits are hard to break and it wasn't long before Nanny poisoned her new husband but that she also took the time to poison her mother Louisa the very next month after her husband had passed away in 1953 Nanny married Samuel Doss of Tulsa Oklahoma. This was in June 1953. Doss was a Nazarene minister who had lost his family to a tornado in Arkansas. Samuel disapproved of the romance novels and stories that his wife enjoyed reading and let her know this. Three months into the marriage, in September, Samuel was admitted to the hospital with flu-like symptoms. The hospital diagnosed a severe digestive tract infection and he was treated but was able in about a month's time to regain his health and released on October 5th, 1954. I paused for just a second because October 12th, 1954, Samuel passed away. Nanny killed him that evening in her rush to collect two life insurance policies that she had taken out on him. This sudden death was determined to be suspicious. And I have to pause here just a second and say one thing. You think? Really? The death had alerted uh, her husband's doctor who ordered an autopsy. The autopsy uh, revealed a very huge amount of arsenic in his system. And this came from Nanny feeding him arsenic-laced prune cake originally when he was checked in the hospital. When this had failed, and he spent a month recovering, when he returned home, she went back to what was, I guess, a tried-and-true method for her, which was putting arsenic in his coffee. I guess, like they say, it's best to stay with what works. Now, the physician who had treated Doss had like I said suspected foul play. He did convince Nanny to allow an autopsy by telling her it would save lives in the future if he could just determine what illness had caused the death of her husband. And that's when he found enough arsenic in uh, the guy's body to kill a horse. He alerted the police who fairly quickly arrested Nanny and charged her with murder. Under interrogation, and, of course, in return for being able to keep a romance magazine with her in jail, Manny confessed to killing her husbands. Notice I say plural husbands. Police authorities exhumed several bodies and confirmed that they had died of rat poisoning or arsenic. Confronted by the evidence, Doss, of course, confessed to killing four of her husbands her mother, her sister, her grandson and her mother-in-law. Doss is said to have chuckled and giggled and grinned throughout her confession, giggling with glee as she recounted to the police officers how she had ended her victims lives. The facts her crimes were coming to light seemed to generally delight the woman so she took pride in the terrible acts that she had committed. Now the state of Oklahoma where they had the most evidence centered his case only on Samuel Doss. Nanny Doss was prosecuted by J. Howard Edmondson who would later become the governor of Oklahoma and she pled guilty on May 17, 1955 and was sentenced to life imprisonment. The state did not pursue the death penalty apparently due to the fact that she was a female and execution of females was apparently not considered a proper thing to do at that time in that location now despite her jailhouse confessions of other killings like I said she was only tried for the one murder she was judged sane and able to stand trial she pled guilty and did like I said receive a life sentence her string of murders would have been enough of a curiosity but she made an impression with her upbeat demeanor she seemed to enjoy her notoriety and even joked about her dead husbands with the press and I'm sure the press guys got off really enjoyed that she of course blamed her long ago head injury for enabling her murderous behavior and many suspected she had a more practical motivation for her crimes but nanny herself insisted on a more brazen reason for being a serial killer. Throughout her various confessions and the time that she spent in jail Nanny insisted that money played no significant role in her crimes. Even with several insurance claims and payments being received her murders were actually motivated by marital boredom. A dream of discovering the ideal husband, her prince charming as it would just like what she read in her favorite true romance magazine. That's about it, Nanny told the interrogators and what she also told the uh, press. I was searching for the perfect mate, the real romance of my life. Now, it is interesting that her daughter, Malvinia, who we spoke of earlier, and two of Malvinia's daughters, Nanny's grandchildren, were with her in court in nineteen fifty five, and in fact were photographed in an almost family like portrait at that time in May, along with the police commissioner, a captain with the investigative unit, and the county attorney who would later become governor. Now keeping this in mind, Nanny had confessed to killing one of her grandchildren as well. Malvinia's Son. While the media has called her the giggling granny, the lonely heart killer, the world's jolliest self made widow, and other descriptions, the state of Oklahoma felt a more appropriate term for her or description of her was murderer. No less than 11 victims and it would also be accurate to designate her pretty much as a full-blown serial killer. Now, there were also a few earlier deaths that authorities and experts assume were probably caused by her activities, were committed by her, though that has never been proven. And apparently, Nanny had an unusual ability to get men to fall in love with her very quickly, and that led to their eventual painful downfalls. So as we close out this podcast of 542 and the Blue, I'll leave you with this advice for future consideration. Love at first sight may be all right, but a second look might get you off the hook. Be safe and be secure. And Alice close us out tonight. Thank you for listening to the 542 and the Blue podcast. Discussions of Law Enforcement History, Issues and Incidents in the Appalachian Mountains with Scott Lunsford. For more information on this podcast or Scott's books, you can go to scottlunsfordauthor.com. There you can find a link to the podcast webpage and information on Scott and his books and how to order them. Scott can also be reached through the message portal on the contact page. This is Alice your podcast engineer with Victoria your producer. Background music Lazy Days provided by PurplePlanet.com and used with permission. Thank you.